Hello, my name is Meg. Welcome to the Unedited Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. The goal of this podcast is to help you both develop and enjoy the habit of daily Bible reading and prayer. About 20 years ago, at a very low spot in my life, I was convicted to begin this simple discipline, and I looked up years down the road to see how God had used this habit to heal deep places in my heart and do incredible things in my life. And so over the years, it's really become my greatest passion to help others get to know Jesus through His Word and through His presence. Through this podcast, I'm hoping to help you see the Word of God with fresh eyes, to learn to slow down with your Bible, and ultimately to fall in love with your Bible. So thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so incredibly glad to have you here. Today, I am going to talk just a little bit about studying for doctrine formation, give a few tips and just points on that topic. But before I do, I want to say a massive thank you to everybody who has been part of the book launch. Your kindness has meant so much. Thank you to those of you who have purchased copies. Thank you to those of you who have shared it on social media or maybe directly with family and friends. To those of you who have offered kind words or encouragement, it really has meant so much. So just a great big thank you. Again, today we are going to talk about studying for doctrine formation. And before we even get into it, what is doctrine? When I was preparing for this episode, I started searching up Greek definitions of doctrine in the concordance and looking on Google. But I am just going to give you the very simple Meganese version of doctrine. It is really your system of beliefs about the nature of God, the character of God, the word of God, and especially as that relates to salvation. How are we saved? How do we find salvation through the Bible? So it's our system of beliefs about God and about salvation. When I first started reading my Bible years ago, as I've shared on the podcast before, so much of it was to figure out what I believed. I had been born into a home that believed the apostolic message But I was at a place where I said I could have been born into any home that believed any world religion. And all I really knew at that point in my life was that I believed in God as Jehovah, the one true and living God. And I believed that the Bible was the authoritative word of God. Outside of that, I didn't know if I believed in organized religion. You could go down the list. I just really wasn't sure what I believed. But there are roughly 40,000 Christian denominations in the world, give or take. That was some quick Google research. And I saw numbers lower than that, numbers higher than that, but that was kind of the average of what I noticed. And I just was at that place in life where I knew that not everybody could be right. And not everybody is going to be right about what they say about salvation. There's a lot of different takes on what it means to be Christian and, again, on what it means to be saved. And at the end of the day, each one of us has to get into the Word of God for ourselves and study what does the word of God say? Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, and he said, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly or correctly dividing the word of truth. So if there's a right way to divide the word of truth, there's a wrong way to divide the word of truth. Paul also told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2-4 to preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove rebuke, exhort with all long suffering 
and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. So Paul warned there was going to come a time when people were not going to endure sound or correct doctrine, but they were going to turn away from truth. They were going to be turned to fables, hearing and giving ear to what was easy to believe, not necessarily knowing what was truly in the word of God. And we know there's scriptures, Hebrews 10, 31, for example, it says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Philippians 2, 12 says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Every single one of us has a soul. Every single one of us needs salvation. We need redemption. And it is our responsibility, the responsibility for getting in the word of God and figuring out how we're saved falls squarely on each of our own shoulders. And I will tell you, I don't really like to have to say that. This is not a fun, inspirational episode per se. I'd much rather talk about smiles or encouragement or something a little bit more cheery and sunshine and buttercups. But this is reality, and I have felt very strongly in my spirit that I needed to talk about this because that is the primary reason that we read the Bible is to figure out how to be saved. And Jesus said in John 12, 48, He that rejects me and receives not my word has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. And so there's going to come a time where every single one of us, the Bible says every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. We're going to stand before God and his word is going to be opened up. And at the end of the day, the bottom line of the whole thing is going to be, did you figure out what was in this book? Did you live according to this book? Did you find out what the parameters were to be saved, to make it to heaven, to make it to the kingdom of God? We're all going to answer to the words that Jesus spoke, the words that were written in his book, in the book about himself. And so what we believe about the Bible and about salvation is incredibly important. We cannot take somebody else's word for it. And I would say, no matter what church you go to, no matter who teaches you something about the Bible, always take it back to the word of God and always take it back to God and say, God, is this truth? I want to search this out for myself. We have to be like those in Berea in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 17. It says this, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. So they received the word with all readiness of mind, but they also searched it out. They searched the scriptures daily to see if this was true, to see if these things were so. They wanted to know for themselves. They didn't just take somebody else's word for it. And so when it comes to studying for a system of beliefs, especially about salvation, just a few quick points. First of all, we have to allow the Bible to interpret the Bible. If there's ever something we run across that seems contradictory, we must allow the word of God to interpret itself. Secondly, we must understand the layout of the Bible. And this has been so helpful for me. Um, There's a lesson that we have in our new member curriculum at our church called the Apostolic Foundation. It has really helped me just clear up things that may have previously been confusing just by understanding the layout of the Bible. Very briefly, the Old Testament is the foundation for the New Testament. Following the Old Testament, we have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. No one was saved in the Gospels. This is where Jesus comes on the scene as the Messiah, dies, is buried, and rises again 
gives us how we can be saved. And during his, the time of his ministry in the Gospels, he trained 12 men. And at one point, Jesus prayed for them. And he said, I'm not just praying for them, but I'm also praying on those who are going to believe on me through their words. And Jesus left the establishment of his church, which was his plan from the very beginning, in the hands of the apostles that he had trained for the three and a half years of his ministry. So what the apostles did is very important. So we have Old Testament, then we have Gospels, then we have this one little book of Acts, which is the only history book we have in the New Testament where we see what the apostles did, how the apostles carried out the commands and the instructions of Jesus, and following the book of Acts, we have epistles, which were letters written to churches that were begun or founded in the book of Acts. And so the epistles are not instructions on how to be saved. They're not written to unbelievers. They're written to churches. They're written to people who are already saved, who had a salvational experience in the book of Acts. And so the book of Acts literally becomes a lens in the Bible to see everything before it and to see everything after it through. And that, again, for me, cleared up a lot of confusion. We have to see how the apostles, again, what did the apostles do to carry out the commands of Jesus? And so I would encourage you, I would urge you, get into the book of Acts, see what they did. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost is originally poured out, they got up, they were pricked, their hearts are convicted, and they say to Peter, who had been given the keys of the kingdom, by the way, they said to him, what do we do to be saved? And Peter said, you have to repent, you have to be baptized, and you shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. And then he went on and he said, the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And so from the words of Peter We know that that was the plan of salvation that Jesus had offered, and it was not going to be just exclusive for those there that day, but it was going to be for all who were afar off, and so that is so, so, so important. And I would, again, urge you just to get into the book of Acts, Um, and again, just understanding this view of the Bible, how it's laid out, how it works, that Acts is the only history book of the New Testament, and the epistles were letters written to people who were saved in the book of Acts or to churches who were found in the book of Acts. That just really, really helped me. Number three, we have to take the whole counsel of God. We cannot build a doctrine or a belief system based on a single verse or a few verses. We must allow the word of God to build upon itself. For example, there is a verse that says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But there's also a verse that says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And there's also a verse that says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so we have to make an overlay out of these verses. It's not one and done. God has each of us on a journey. But there is a complete process of salvation, and it is important that we take the whole counsel of God, not just cherry-pick a verse and stop there. So again, just three very simple points when it comes to how to study for doctrine formation. First of all, allow the Bible to interpret the Bible. Number two, understand the layout of the Bible. And just to clarify on that, Old Testament, God preparing the world and the bloodline and people for Jesus to come on the scene. Jesus comes on the scene 
in the Gospels. He trains 12 men and commissions them to establish his church. They establish that church in the book of Acts. Acts is the only history book of the New Testament, and the epistles are all letters written to people who were saved in churches that were founded in the book of Acts. So again, we must understand the layout of the Bible. And number three, we have to take the whole counsel of God. So that was a very long intro, and I hope that something that I shared will help maybe clear up confusion for you or help you and encourage you to get into the Word of God and dig out your own system of beliefs. Today, I'm going to share an unedited journal entry. This is actually edit, or entry 49 from the book, Unedited. And so today's entry is called Living Water. Jesus answered and said unto her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. John 4.10 Living in the Greek is Zao, number 2198 from Thayer's. Living water, i.e. bubbling up, gushing forth, flowing with the suggested idea of refreshment and salubrity, lol, as opposed to the water of cisterns and pools. It is figuratively used of the spirit and truth of God as satisfying the needs and desires of the soul. Water in John 4.14 is the Greek hydor, number 5204 in Thayer's. It means allegorically that which refreshes and keeps alive the soul and is likened to water, especially the spirit and truth of God. Last night, as I crawled into bed, I began to think about the vain, hollow, shallow existence most people experience on the journey of life. I see it. I notice it when I go to the mall or the airport. Most people are moving from place to place, job to job, TV show to TV show, store to store. I see the hollowness behind their eyes, chore to chore, no animation from inside. I thought of how so few people ever go below the surface of their life and open up the doors of their soul. Suddenly, the thought popped into my head of a clock, Big Ben in particular. So many people deal only with the exterior, the hands of the clock, and never go behind the scenes to get to know the clockworks. When something goes wrong with the hands, something has gone wrong with the inner mechanisms of the clock. You can't fix the hands, the visible timekeeping pieces by addressing the hands. You have to go to the heart of what drives those hands. You cannot address exterior brokenness by exterior means. If Big Ben stopped working, repairmen could get cranes and lifts and address the hands and dials for days and never restore it to working condition. It is the interior function that determines exterior function. How few of us get that. We address exterior dysfunction with exterior means, always reaching for something that will address the issue and help us live something more than hollow. This is the situation that the woman, classically known as the woman at the well, finds herself in. As Jesus strikes up a conversation with her, we find that she is the poster child for exterior dysfunction. Jesus tells her to go call her husband, to which she responds, I have no husband. 
Jesus looks past her ability to couch her current status in half-truths and sees straight into the broken inner workings of her life. You're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Jesus sliced right through the manifest brokenness of her life and looked into the cracks of her soul. Inner brokenness had to be addressed before outward brokenness could be remedied. Inner deadness had to be dealt with before outer life could spring forth. Earlier in his conversation with her, Jesus had told her about living water. Those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Backing up to Big Ben, it is the interior function that drives exterior function. And you really should study Big Ben clockworks. It's fascinating. Backing up again, so many people living hollow, shallow, dead-end, dysfunctional lives. Backing up even further, they can't help it. They are part of the Edemic race, tainted by the fall in the Garden of Eden. The unfortunate reality is that sin was ushered in, and with it a whole host of curses and plights. The worst of it, our souls were created for perfect, unhindered communion with God, But in the fall, the receptors that were innate in our being to connect directly with deity were crushed, dead. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Dead, dead, dead. The clockworks had stopped working. You see, it is possible to be physically alive while spiritually dead. And remember, your dead, your dysfunction, doesn't have to take the form of five husbands. Oh, the many ways our broken hearts and dead spirits manifest. Our world is littered by those whose lives are devastated by spiritual death. But there is living water. A few chapters later, Jesus expounds on it. If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. The New Living Translation says rivers of living water will flow from his heart. The next verse, John 7, 39, goes on to explain, But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Holy Ghost, poured out in the book of Acts, chapter 2 initially, was the solution for a dead soul, for broken clockworks. The living water he told the woman at the well of is the only thing that can get past the exterior dysfunction and awaken the dead places of our hearts. After the Holy Ghost was poured out in Acts 2, the Apostle Peter preaches and the crowd is convicted. They ask what to do. Peter replies, Repent. Turn from your sin, it's an act of not only sorrow, but the changing of your heart, mind, and direction. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or the washing away of your sins, and you shall, you will, receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off. That's us, living and spiritually awake, are still available. I would encourage you to read Acts 1, Acts chapter 2, and even more so the whole entire book. 
We don't have to live dull, listless, unsatisfying lives. Life more abundantly is available. Living water is still being poured out. The gift of the Holy Ghost is, as Peter stated, a promise for all. In Acts chapter 2, it says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Every time they received the Holy Ghost in Acts, God switched over their language and they spoke in tongues, a language they did not know. In Acts 2, people from all over who spoke many different languages were present in Jerusalem and observed the experience. Acts 2, 6-11 in New Living says, When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speak in our own native language. The text goes on to list 17 countries and provinces, and we hear all these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. As John 7:38 says, rivers of living water will flow from your heart. When God awakens the broken, dead core of our soul, it is with and by His Spirit. It comes alive, He fills you to overflowing, and the initial sign of that experience is the bubbling up of living water, joy unspeakable, evidenced with worship in tongues, a language you've never known before. It is not a spooky experience. Yes, it is supernatural, but it is beautiful. I have seen it many times, and it is always accompanied by great joy. It is the being born of the Spirit that Jesus had told Nicodemus about in John 3, 5, and it is amazing. Jesus told him, I tell you a solemn truth, unless a person is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Not only is the Spirit a promise, it is a requirement for entrance into the kingdom of God, and it's for you. It is your path from death to life, living water. Now that was super long, and I haven't conveyed everything I'd like to, but there is a part two to all of this, dead lives, broken clockworks, etc. Part two, the experience just described is only the beginning. It is like a birth, but a baby cannot simply be born. It must initially be cared for and then learn to care for and feed itself. Too often, it seems people stop at the initial taste of living water. In that moment, the inner mechanisms of their life begin to work again. Gears, pulleys, drives, and pendulums begin to keep time and work in synchrony and harmony as they experience a joy and peace they have never known before. But once things are up and running, maintenance will be required. With Big Ben, workers are required to climb the clock tower at least three times a week to wind the clock, oil many places on the five-ton clockworks, or even add or remove a penny to the pendulum to slow its swing to the most minute measure, or in the most minute measure. A one-time experience of getting things running properly would never be a long-term solution. There must be a daily maintenance and daily replenishment for living water to continuously flow. For us to live lives noticeably marked by joy and healing, we must make sure nothing is allowed in our hearts to stop the flow of the Spirit, and we must daily recharge our souls in the presence of the one who is the author, source, and giver of life and living water. Don't settle for dead, evidenced by exterior brokenness, and don't just settle for a one-time sip of life. Insist on living water daily, 
Insist on daily returning to the source of life more abundantly. Insist on interior function. He wants to see you awake to all the beauty he has planned for you. St. Arrhenius said the glory of God is man fully alive. Go ahead and live. Romans 6.13 says, Yield yourselves unto God and those that, as those that are alive from the dead. And to borrow a line from the Apostle Paul, See how large a letter I have written you with my own hand. So yes, that was very long, but just a little reminder that the only way to resurrect the dead parts of our soul, dead as a result of the curse and the fall, is through the presence, through the Holy Spirit of God coming to live on the inside of us. And today, just a little reminder to study to show yourself approved unto God, that it is so important that you understand how the Bible works, that you learn how to let the Bible interpret itself, Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you of a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. It matters that we study the Bible and it matters what we believe. At the end of the day, we cannot allow somebody else's understanding of the Bible to be ours. Consensus cannot determine truth. It must be what thus saith the Lord. And at the end of time, When everything is wrapped up, it's just going to be him and his word and you or him and his word and me. And we have to know what it says. So thank you again so much for joining me for this journey. I look forward to meeting up with you again next Friday. If you have questions or to download a typed or a handwritten transcript of today's entry, you can visit meganedited.com. For now, go grab your journal and your Bible I look forward to the power of this habit in your life. This is unedited. This is for you. Happy Friday.